Hello and welcome to Cycling Talk Podcast with me, Georgia Mahoney. Today I am joined by BMX rider Ross Cullen. BMX is an ever-growing sport so I was really excited to find out more about it. Ross has achieved so much already and I'm sure he will achieve a lot more in the future. Thank you for joining me today, Ross. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Tell me some of your early memories of being on a bike and how you got into cycling. So um, I've always, as a kid, was always out on the bike, um, always playing out on it, came off stabilizers really early. Um, and that was a thing. I used to love going out on family bike rides. Um, and it was just one day up onto the way in town with my dad um, on the bus. We spotted a BMX track a few miles away from my local house. Um, went down the day after on a cheap mountain bike I had. Um, and then it kind of started from there. Enjoyed it. Couldn't Dad had to pull me off the track. I, I didn't want to leave. Um, and then it went on from kind of club, club sessions to um, club races, regional races, mm. national races. Um, and then within four, four and a half years to my first world championships. So it was quite a quick <laughs> process. Yeah. <laughs> What's the first bike that you remember being really excited about? So, like I said, I, I went to the first, well, I went to the track first probably in the November of 2006. Um, so it was kind of after that, it was coming up to Christmas um, and Santa brought me a very nice um, shiny Redline BMX, which was a total surprise and I just couldn't wait to get out on it. Um, so that was, that was really exciting, kind of my first ever BMX race bike. And tell me about your first BMX race. So my first BMX race was just a club race. Um, I think by then I didn't have to borrow equipment. I had all my own helmet, gloves, um, pads, etc. Um, and yeah, I actually won my first club race, which I know it's only a small event, but back then that was like a massive achievement. Um, and I think that there was actually a money prize at the end. It was like a £10 prize, but I didn't want it. I went and swapped it for a trophy because as a seven-year-old kid, you just want... Um, you just want a big shiny trophy, don't you? So that was that was a plan. Um, but yeah, that was kind of what got me hooked. Um, success from a very early age was what spurred me on to continue in my racing career. What was the name of the club that you rode for? So I still actually am signed to that club now. It's called Preston Pirates BMX Club. Did you do a lot of riding with your family growing up? So, like I said, it was always at well, it was always an active family. Um, even mm. sports wise, I used to do gymnastics, football, as well as BMX um, until BMX took over. But yeah, we we all loved getting out on our bikes. Um, my dad, especially, and he actually bought an old BMX to kind of have a roll around with me when I started. So I wasn't so shy and nervous. Um, but he was dreadful. He definitely didn't pick too much. <laughs> um, and yeah, and obviously by then I'd, I'd made friends at the club and everything. But yeah, even even our family is still really supportive and mum and dad are still cycling mad. They still like going out on bike rides every day if they can. Um, so yeah, we've always been a family on two wheels, I'd say. Why do you think BMX took over the other sports that you were doing? So one, I'd probably say as a seven, eight-year-old kid, whatever you're best at, you're probably going to, want to do most um I was never the best at football <laughs> I kind of just used to go and kick it as hard as I can and see where it ended up um 
got two left feet. Um, so yeah, that I, I used to enjoy football, but I enjoyed. I just took to BMX a lot more. Like I said, um, I was winning a lot of club races back then, and, and I made some new friends. And I think that the environment, or kind of the social side as well, um, just just sucked me in a little bit. Um, and the same with gymnastics; it was really fun. But at the end of the day, I just enjoyed riding my bike more. Yeah, I think it is a very social thing when you're younger to make friends with people and then you'll end up sort of riding with them later on and growing as cyclists together. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, like I said, people that I used to train and race with um, that I grew up with from when I was six at the club, there's a few of us that were the same age as me um, and they don't actually ride now, but we still keep in contact um, and, and talk most days, if not weeks. So yeah, they kind of like you say, friends for life. You mentioned training. What sort of training were you doing and where did you usually train? So early stages, it was just go and have as much fun as you can, um, which I, I think is the most important thing for not only BMX, but any sport. If you're having fun while you're a kid, um, that's that's kind of the main thing. There's a lot now in our start training early, 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 but it's really good. But you've seen a lot more kids drop out of the sport because they're not having as much fun. But then as I kind of got maybe on to 10, 11, I started um, training a bit more in Manchester um, at an outdoor track at Platfields with a coach I had. Um, there was like a, an academy of six or eight riders. And we used to have to do pretty hardcore efforts, so basically just race efforts. Um, and used to give us little plans to do press-ups and sit-ups every night and this and that, um, which is kind of minimal stuff. But like I said, the, the, the most thing was as long as I had fun every session, um, and I, and I practiced my start technique back then, just the basic coaching points, um, you, you'd naturally progress anyway. Did you keep riding other bikes or did you just ride BMX? I used to ride um, BMX freestyle a little bit, so in the skate parks, um, and I've always loved going out on a mountain bike, um, not kind of on endurance or anything like that. Road rides, endurance, I'm not a fan of, obviously, as a sprint athlete, even back then. Um, mm. But, yeah, anything with jumps and turns, I'm, uh, I'm fine to do. Even when I go out on the road nowadays, I find it boring because you're just, uh, you're just pedaling. But, yeah, I've, I've, I've always enjoyed anything to do with bikes. Um, and I think, I think I always will, to be honest with you. When was the first time that you competed in a national event? So I think my first national series was in 2008 um, and I finished in the overall ranking of that year. I think it was like fourth. Um, and the last round of the national was actually at my home track in Preston. Um, so, yeah, as a, obviously as a, as a first year in my first national series, it was pretty cool. Um, back then, it's kind of a bit of a blur because I just used to, like I say, just go and have fun. Um, watching videos back now look absolutely tiny. Um, and how the tracks and bikes and everything has changed since then is mental. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for, first proper year of racing was 2008 in the UK. Obviously, BMX is a very fast sport and crashing is quite common. Are there any big crashes that you remember from your early years as a rider? So I was always a bit of a bit of a crazy rider. I've always been skillful but um always trying jumps that i was probably too slow for or too little for at the time um, and touch wood even to this day never broke a bone that i've that i've known of um, which is quite rare for a bmxer i should say um, but as a kid just the little things like you'd crash and it always used to get you under your chin that was the main one 
I remember that the night before we were going on holiday, um, my mum was fuming. It was probably about 10. Me and dad went to the track one summer's night to get a little session in. Crashed and ended up splitting all my chin open. I had to get a load of stitches. Um, imagine the panic of uh, Mrs. Cullen the night before we were flying to Spain on holiday. <laughs> uh, wasn't ideal. Um, but, but no, really, I, even if I crashed quite a lot, it was just brush it off and get up. That's what I was always told from my dad. So, yeah, he probably brought me up the right way. <laughs> <laughs> What sort of travelling did you have to do to get to all the events that you were doing and who supported you? So national events um, at the early stages were you probably rock up to practice wherever it is in the UK on a Friday, race a Saturday, come back Sunday night after racing. Um, so they were quite straightforward. You just kind of stay in a Premier Inn, travel lodge, wherever you could. Um, and then when it got probably 2009 onwards where I started going to, to Belgium and France, um, that was when the trips got more exciting, but obviously a lot longer driving or flying there. Um, and back then it was all family supported. Um, uh, even to maybe the past few years, I've, I've had my first bit of, of travel support, I should say, um, of British cycling where they're taking me to events probably in the past maybe three years. Um, everything in, until that, until I was maybe 15, 16, was off mum and dad's back. Um, so yeah the, the bank of parents which i'm very grateful for because as they say money doesn't grow on trees um so yeah they they kind of supported me massively throughout early stages of my career for sure mm. when was the first time that you raced internationally so i got asked this a few weeks back and i I got it wrong and somebody corrected me and i probably still get it wrong now i think it was 2009 or 2010 um, in a, a big expo centre in Cortrix in Belgium. Um, I remember it, we all we all went rented um, motorhomes and went up and it was just a really, really good trip. Me and a few of the guys from Preston, a few of the, few of the kids that I raced with at the time and our parents. Um, and yeah, it just back then, obviously, it just felt like a big holiday, just going somewhere mm-hmm. and racing. Um, so yeah, probably from 2009, I'd say, was made my first international race. Did you feel like it was quite a big step up from doing the national events? Um, back then, probably didn't feel it as much because obviously when, when you're that age, um, I was probably only maybe nine, then eight or nine years old. Um, I, I probably didn't feel the, the nerves that much. Um, it, it would definitely felt like a more prestigious event, more because nobody spoke the language. You was kind of, you was the odd one out. The, the little English guys have come to race. And yeah, obviously you're racing a lot of different guys. You can't speak to them in the pens because they're all speaking French. Or so that was the main thing that it felt like a different event. Um, but but race turns once I got onto the track, I think the adrenaline takes over and yeah, you get past it. What are some of your favourite races that you have done in Europe growing up? So I'd probably say um, the first ever time I went to. Zolder BMX track, um, which is one of my favourite BMX tracks. That was really cool in Belgium. Um, There's kind of a big racetrack around it, an old F1 or whatever it is. Um, so that's a really cool place. Um, and, and the track was really good. And I remember the weather was, was pretty good. Um, and apart from that, I'd probably say the ones in a place called Calm in France, they run them every year. Um, same weekend every year. 
and they're like always they build an indoor track um just for the weekend the track's always really rubbish really soft but just the the, the atmosphere and the experience is always is really cool at them races even from growing up um they're, they're still a, a must even nowadays can you tell me about your first world championships yeah, so this was in 2011 in Copenhagen. Um, so this was probably one of the first five races I've done out of the country, um, which was pretty weird to say it was a world champs. Didn't have any expectations because I'd raced a few riders, but definitely kids from all over the world. Um, and yeah, ended up finishing fourth, which at the time I was gutted because you didn't get the first place big trophy. Um, but, but looking back... Um, and even at the time, I need to, to to sit there and go back to school at the time and say I got fourth at the World Champs was like was really cool, um, and that was a, a hell of an experience. We stayed in a little hostel, uh, just me and my dad near the track, and it, it was kind of rough and ready, but it got the job done. Um, and yeah, like I say, it's really bad. I wish I could remember more from them races, but as I'm getting older, I'm remembering less and less. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's really cool that you got fourth in your first World Championships. I don't think I'll ever actually do a World Championships, but if I did, I don't think I'd get anywhere near that. <laughs> never rule it out. Never rule it out. That was what I thought before I went in, but you never know. Were you part of any British cycling programme? So I first joined a sort of British cycling programme. Um, I think it was late 2012, so after I my first world championships um i went up to what at the time i think it was called uh, before basically now it was before like the junior academy program it was something similar to that um so i went up a year early um, and that was when i first started doing racing camps with british cycling i first got a british cycling jersey to wear i got the track suits etc etc and but before 2012 um I was just kind of club coached um, people at clubs or a guy called Dylan Clayton that used to coach me for a meet from the north of England. That was the way to go. I wasn't involved with British cycling and such until later on. Was that just after the Olympics in London? Yeah. So that should have been, obviously, whenever the Olympics were, late summer or early summer. This I probably joined the team maybe in September um, mm. or even later than that in the year. So, yeah, I remember... Um, watching the Olympics, watching Liam and Sinead's. Um, it was really inspiring back then, especially for it. It, it didn't mean as much back then that it was a, a home Olympic Games. But like nowadays, if there was a home Olympics, it'd be like obviously a really big thing um, as an elite athlete. But back then, it was just another race going on. Um, so I didn't really understand it fully. But yeah, it was really inspiring to see them guys race that race. Um, and then potentially, not the time knowing, but a few months after, I'd be be training around similar times that they would not on the same sessions but after they'd be finishing we'd be warming up and seeing riding um, and yeah quite inspiring knowing you've been watching them on the tv the month before yeah when when the olympics were in london i was only four and i think we went up to london as well and we um watched the finish of the road race i mean if it was now i would think well that's amazing that i'd seen that but i was so young that I didn't even realise it was going on, but it is really cool. And now when I think about it now, I was so lucky to be able to see that. And it's it's a really cool thing to have it in your home country. Yeah, sure. Totally agree. 
So what was the first team that you joined and what were some of your highlights on that team? So I remember my dad telling me back then that I was I was getting sponsored and that was like, oh my goodness, that biggest thing ever back then. Joining a team, get a team a team frame. Which to be honest, my dad probably chipped in or paid for back then. It really wasn't a big team. Um, they were based up in the northeast of England. It was a few guys that knew from national races. Um and it was actually like if if you look at that team now, you'd probably pick about four guys out that have that have gone on to ride world championships and national champs. Um, but it was just a really good, it, even though you do get some free kit and you, you ride a branded bike, the main thing was um, it's almost like one big extended family at races. You sit in the gazebo tent with them at night, you're going out for food with them, you're riding around the car parks, do you know what I mean, with them, with all the kids. Um, so it felt really cool and it was quite special to be kind of invited into um a group of people like that especially for me back then it was like well, you know it was probably like more more special than winning the world chancellor back then mm-hmm. so, yeah, your friends at school yeah i'm sponsored this and that <laughs> but yeah having having a team in bmx it, it's really common but it, it was really cool that if you've got a good team and good people around you um it's it's a good place to be in 2014 you were in the final of the world championships in the netherlands but you crashed out on the first jump. What do you remember about this and how did it affect you? So this was, I'd say, um, 2014 was, I'd say, the start maybe of my older years in BMX. Um, Because if I give you a bit of story before that, 2012, I won the World Champs in Birmingham, um, which was really cool. But then in 2013, they were held in New Zealand. Um, and back then, as a, as a 12-year-old, um, it was quite a big ask for, for me and my dad to go out there to race. So I actually didn't didn't go to them world champs. That's the only world championships I've ever missed um, from 2011. Um, so I lost my title, which is obviously devastating back then, especially not being able to fight for it. And then 2014 came, I was feeling really good, really confident, um, got into the main event and then... Like I said, it's quite common in BMX to end up on the deck sometimes. Um, and it's more the frustration, really. Like, you jump up as, as soon as you're, you're on the on the floor um, and you're watching the race going on around the first turn. It's just, like I said, it's, it's quite upsetting sometimes knowing that you've still got a world ranking, but I knew that I should have been up at the front and in the top three for sure. But at, at the end of the day, I always had a saying growing up that if you get through a semi-final into a world main, just go and have some fun, like your work's done, um, especially as a young, younger kid. Um, just You've got a world ranking, just go and do what you're going to do. And if you win, you win. If you don't, you don't. Um, it was, there wasn't too much pressure. It was quite relaxed back then, which I think was one of the reasons that I've always achieved quite well. The following year, though, you became world champion and you're also British champion and you were second in the European Championships. You must have been really pleased with how that year went for you. Yeah, um, there was a few years like that. Like the, the national champs were kind of back then. Didn't really think much of them. I won a load of them um, growing up, especially, and it was it was just kind of a thing. It, it, you kind of got complacent. If you didn't win, you, you'd be fuming. Um, but yeah, the, the national champs were interesting because, like I said, the, the national ranking is over the year of national series. So the British Championships is a one-off race on the weekend. You race on that day, whoever wins, wins. 
um, which is pretty cool. But I think the national champs are always more special to me um, because you might race 12 rounds of national series over the years and you take something like your best eight results and it's whoever has the most points. Um, so they was always pretty cool because it shows obviously you've had a consistent season. Um, but even back then, I just didn't think that deep into it. I just loved the winning as many races as I can and getting a big trophy and that was that. <laughs> what sort of training do you have to do to be at a top level? So it's a lot different nowadays since I've been a full-time athlete. Um, it's obviously gotten a lot more serious. You don't have time. It's basically a full-time job. You, you're normally training, like I said, five days a week. Um, or even if you're training four days a week, you do kind of two sessions a day. Um, it, it's just elite-level training. Um, everything's obviously high intent. You've got a lot of structure behind it, um, especially for BMX. A lot of it's in the gym as well because we're a sprint sport. Got to be as explosive and as powerful as we can, and um, but at the same time, we've got to be able to put that power onto the bike. So then we're doing a lot of sprint work on the bike, a lot of technical stuff. Um, so yeah, we're constantly sore in winter. That's the main thing. We spend a lot of time in the gym, um, and then away from that, you've got to make sure that we're fueling right, having enough protein to recover and grow, um, and enough carbs to kind of grow as big as we can. Um, so, yeah, it's quite in-depth. A lot of people think that BMX racing is kind of just jump on a bike, go and ride it and see what happens, um, where it, there's a lot more behind the scenes that, that people don't see or don't know, for example. What equipment do you need to be able to race BMX? So, normally, um, like I said, you can check on, if, if you want to get into it and you start and you go on the British Cycling website, and you can check where your local BMX track is. Um, and if you contact them, I'd say the majority of clubs rent bikes, helmet and pads, everything, gloves. So really, you wouldn't need much if you just, just want to try it. Um, but if you want to get into it, I'd say obviously you'd want a BMX bike, ideally. Um, a full-face helmet, for sure, they're like the most important thing. Um, always wear gloves, you want to protect your hands. And even if you don't want to buy full race kit at the start, like normally, for example, I wear BMX race pants with a jersey, with like elbow pads, body armor, hip pads, knee pads, everything under. Um, as long as you're wearing long sleeve pants and long sleeve top with pads over, you're kind of good to go to get into it. Um, you don't have to, it's not meant to be an expensive sport. I know it's turning that way nowadays, but for example, at Preston, I think you can go and do do kind of a club session rent your bike and all your kit plus the, the two-hour gate session for something some little like three, four pounds, which really in the grand scheme of things is is nothing for a day out for a kid nowadays. Yeah. At your level, what sort of materials are the wheels and the bikes made out of? So a lot of people think carbon is the only way forward, carbon, carbon, carbon. And I've run a carbon bike for maybe the past for maybe five years um, with carbon wheels, carbon forks. Um, but actually, in the last year, I'd say, I've been on an aluminium frame, um, still with carbon wheels, but there's, there's, the frames are normally made out of aluminium or carbon. Um, your wheels are the same, aluminium or carbon, same with crank, same with forks. It's, it depends where you want to go. Um, and you want your BMX bike to be relatively light because the lighter it is, the faster it is. Um, especially for a kid's bike, you can get them kind of stupidly like a multi-winter road cycling. You know, if you get kind of a kid's bike that's 
polycarbon wheels, forks, frame, everything. It's going to weigh next to nothing. Um, but yeah, I'd say the main ones are, are, are carbon or alloy. You do make steel bikes, but they're quite heavy. You don't normally see elite races riding steel. So you rode a lot of European Cup rounds. You must have raced the same riders often. Were there any big friendships or rivalries? Yeah, so especially growing up, like I said, from the year 2011 all the way to 2017, I think. Yeah, which was my last year as a 16 boys going forward into junior. I've raced the same dudes at every European races uh, I went to. So, yeah, back then you were friends, but it was the same. But as soon as you go into the track, you know, mm-hmm. you have no friends on the track, you get the job done. Um, but looking back, I, I have people now in, in France, um, in Germany, Holland, Belgium, everywhere that I've raced with growing up that I keep in touch with. Um, sometimes I can go over and stay with them. They couldn't stay with us. Like, there were really, really strong friendships made um, over the years, which is pretty cool because you don't even speak the same language, you know what I mean? You've got a language barrier there. That they're on sometimes either side of the world or either side of Europe. Um, and you've been racing against each other as, as rivals for years, but at the same time, you can look and say that they're some close friends. Um, but yeah, there was, there was a lot of young guy, Edward, I'd say, and me and him were like always head-to-head growing up. Um, and, and a few French guys as well. Yeah, it was really cool actually because, like I said, the whole time from 2011 to 2017, um, we were battling like, every race in and out um, with the same guys. So, yeah, it was pretty special. And you've been to several different sports awards over the years. What are some of your favourite memories from from these awards? So, I always liked the British Cycling Awards, especially when I was a bit younger, for example, in 2012. Um, they were always held at the Hilton in Birmingham was really cool um, and you obviously used to see everyone that you knew there from BMX um, but a few times I met people such as like Chris Hoy, Victoria Pendleton um, guests and people like that so yeah I think that the British Cycling Award was always pretty cool but also the local ones like the Preston Sports Awards I was nominated a few times and, and won like the Rising Star um, or a category like that and um, and even that's pretty cool, winning any award, but especially when I was normally back then, the young girl, like there's people in the category that were my age now, um, and there's me at camp 12, 13, in there with them. Um, used to used to make you feel, feel pretty good. But yeah, I always like an excuse to get dressed up anyway and have a, have a formal dinner. <laughs> so <laughs> I, was, I, was always, um, I was always excited to go to. In 2016, you went to Colombia for your fifth World Championships that you'd done, and that was also the fifth time that you had been in the final. When you reached the final that year, was there a lot of pressure on you from yourself and other people to do well? Um, not Especially not from my dad, so it was just me and my dad went out to that race um, together. Um, obviously it was quite an expensive trip and obviously mum worked as well my sister was at school at the time um, so I think me and dad just went there wasn't any pressure from his side he just wanted me to go and race well um, but as a current world champ there's always a lot of pressure <laughs> uh, rather than practicing you know, usually with the big number one plate on um, so I think I, I put a fair bit on myself and I knew I was doing really well on the race day um, so yeah it, it was really cool and in the final 
the guy on the outside, um, Kalen, it's really cool because we kind of won alternate years. So, for example, I won Birmingham Worlds. He won New Zealand the year after. He also won Rotterdam. Then I won Solder. Then he won in Columbia. So it was like we shared the world champ title. <laughs> kind of five years between us. Um, but yeah, he, he just rode a good lap. Um, and even though I got second at the world champs, which normally I'd be really buzzing with, um, at the same time, it was, it was a bit of, well, I was obviously upset because I, I lost the number one plate. Um, but even back then, you may be a bit better for maybe that evening and the next day, you, you know what I mean? Go around the pool with everyone from racing at the hotel, sat in the sun and you forget about it. There's no point mm. crying over spilled milk, I'd say, what's done is done. At that point, were your parents still having to pay for all of these trips? Yeah, so back then, everything everything was on them. Um, like I said, the only time that I got some support was in junior men, but I went on to what they call the junior academy of foot cycling. Um, oh, sorry, in some of the races, as I was a 16-year-old boy, maybe in 2017, um, they take you to, to the odd event. But even in 2016, maybe they might have took me to one euro round, possibly. Um but like the, the world champs, European champs, everything like that was, was all off mum and dad's back. Um, obviously, we had to self and throw them races, as did everyone else. So, yeah, I was really lucky that my parents worked hard and, and allowed me to go to them races because it, it wasn't cheap, um, obviously, all the years of, of racing. So, yeah, I'm very grateful, as I said before. Can you tell me about being part of the academy? Yeah, so um, I love it. Like I said, I'm, I'm a bit of a... I went to a cycling nerd because I wouldn't have a thing about road or track cycling as such. Um, but anything to do on two wheels, I'm, I'm really into. Um, and I love training. I love kind of putting the, the great cycling drills on every time. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's just a good place to be, especially for myself. You have a lot of support staff around you that are really helpful. Um, you get a world-class coaching um, and really world-class facility. So, for me, um, you look at it a really simple way. You, you kind of get paid. Your job is to, to ride your bike every day, go to races and see if you can get a medal. So if you look at it really simply, um, it's kind of my dream job. It's not always dreamed of from when I was a little kid. <laughs> yeah. You went to the 2018 Youth Olympics in Buenos Aires and finished seventh. You also had the role of being flag bearer for GB. How did it feel to have that role? Yeah, so the race was actually didn't go to plan. Obviously, I didn't really want to come to seven. Um, but like I said, it was what it was. I didn't ride a good lap. But the whole experience of kitting out with Team GB, flying out with them, staying in the Olympic village was, was amazing. And I believe that the flag bearer role was outweighs any cycling achievement I've had. More because... Obviously, you're a flag bearer for your country. Um, even though it's a these games, you're still on the stage, stood in front of thousands and thousands of people in the main street of Buenos Aires. And it was, it was, yeah, no real words to describe how that was. Um, and getting picked trips was really cool because there was maybe five of us that had been nominated before we went out there. Um, and it was up to the fellow athletes to choose. So everyone kind of got a little pollen label and the tick to they wanted. So it was really nice to see that it came from the athletes as well. Um, I must have made a good impression. So, yeah, it, it was really cool. And that was the same. It was just like you're one big Team GB family when you're out there, even if you're 
you know, living with a weight lifter or whoever it was, um, you know, you kind of, you're always close with them. Oh, that sounds really cool. So the year after, you were junior European champion. How did it feel to win that title? Really good. So that was the only title um, that I've ever been racing that I've never managed to win. Um, like I said, I've won the world championships, national, British, um, but never, ever managed to get the, the European champs. Me and my dad always joke that I had a curse against me that I'd never win it. I always used to finish fifth or whatever, maybe some top top three finishes, um, but never, ever managed to win it. So it was really cool to be able to do that, obviously off the elite track um, in junior men. That was really cool. Um, and it just made me feel even better going into the world a few weeks after, which didn't go to plan. Um, but the form was there. Um, and yeah, the European Champs was great. So another title to tick off. Um, so yeah, that was a really good weekend. Mm. And I'm sure after winning, you were really excited to start a new season in 2020. But then COVID came. Did you manage to get much racing in last year? No, so obviously it's my first year in elite. I was really excited. Um, the September 2019, or sorry, October, I moved up to Manchester as a full-time athlete, pretty cycling. Um, trained really hard over the winter. Um, trained really hard the early months of 2020. Um, got one national race, which was pretty cool. Um, we had a whole World Cup coming up in Manchester, a load of races in just all got cancelled <laughs> um, and we didn't actually race a single race from like I said early March 2020 we had a little national race and um, we didn't race again or I didn't race again until Verona a few weeks ago um, which is scary to think of we basically had maybe 14 15 months of no racing um, so yeah it was the longest time I've ever not raced for yeah, I actually watched you race in Verona in Italy. How did it feel to be back racing again? So it was really cool and that was kind of my first ever elite race. Um, going up from junior to elite, I've missed a full year of elite racing. Um, but it, it's nice to see that all the lockdown training um, paid off. And yeah, the, the getting the race feelings, the adrenaline, um, the, the nerves you get pre-race day, everything, as much as a horrible um they have been missed it's yeah just that feeling of, of going racing and competitive side of it that I haven't had for that long and um, which yeah it was, it was really fun it was really great to be able to see the stream online how do you think that social media has changed the sport yeah in social media obviously changed general life in massive ways um in this generation of I've, I've even classed myself as people growing up Obviously, in, in for sport, it has obviously massive pros, but also massive cons. Um, cons are obviously, as you know, there's a lot of trolls out there, a lot of hate going around, this and that. Um, but the pros are, it's getting published more and it's streaming, so a lot more people worldwide can can kind of watch what you're doing um, and can follow you throughout the year on racing and see what everyone's up to. Um, so, yeah, I think social media is a really good, really good tool if you use it well. And yeah, the, the live streaming of racing is really cool because, like I said, mum and dad didn't go into Verona, went with the British Cycling. And if it wasn't for that, they wouldn't have been able to watch either. Um, mm-hmm. So for parents, family, friends, or people that are just wanting to watch, um, yeah. so it's really, really important to have a live stream. And watching the races, they seem to get all of the races out really quickly. 
How is the atmosphere when you're lining up to get to the start gate? So when you're sat in the pens waiting to go up to the gate, obviously it's just pure nerves normally. Depends what round it's in um, and, and how much you feel it. But yeah, especially before a semi-final main event, um, it definitely starts to get nerve-wracking. Um, but that's a sport. You get a load of adrenaline, a load of nerves, and, and that's why we do it. How does it affect you physically and mentally when there's been a crash in the race before yours and you potentially have to wait for a long time? So especially when when you see a crash, it's never nice to see, but you've kind of got to block it out before a race, um, especially if it's a teammate or someone you know. Um, but it, it's always annoying because you kind of sat there for longer when you've when you've got all the, the adrenaline building, you just kind of want to mm-hmm. get on the gate and go, um, where if they hold you for whatever reason, um, it's just a longer time to sit up there and, and kind of think about, overthink things. Um, so, yeah, it's always nicer when you can just kind of get up on the gate and, and get going. And do you have, I, like when I was watching, I saw somebody was actually riding on their bike backwards so that then they could keep their legs warm. Is that something that you struggle with when something like that happens, staying warmed up? Yeah. Yeah, you want you want your muscles to stay warm. Um, for example, when there was a bit of a break because of rain before it got cancelled, our mechanic and coach brought our rollers over, um, so we could kind of warm our legs up and, and do a little bit before. Um, so yeah, you definitely want to keep warm and um, before you're racing. So that's why people are pedalling backwards um, to keep active. How do you usually fuel for a race? Um, a load of carbs the night and day before, really, even the, the week leading into it. Um, my dad used to say as a kid, it was always faster pasta, used to call it. I used to love it, used to absolutely smash a load of pasta because it's just full of carbs, which obviously will turn into well-needed energy. Um, but, yeah, different people have different different things. Um, people can't eat on race mornings because they feel ill for nerves or anything like that. Um, I'm the opposite. I normally eat like a horse every day. So I think I'll just eat a load of food the day before and eat a load of food on race day to make sure I've just got enough in the tank to to carry me through the weekend. Yeah, I, I really like to have pasta the day before a race. But like like you said, I, I really struggled with um, trying to eat before an event because I used to get really nervous. But I think people need to really try and put as much food in because I realise that if if I'm trying to eat more food before the race, it really f- affects and it really benefits me when I'm actually racing. Yeah, yeah, and obviously it's the same with water as well. You want to stay as hydrated as you can. Um, but yeah, that's the thing with food. You don't want to eat too much, don't get me wrong. You can go too much, especially on race day. Um, but little and often is, is what I always get told, as long as you're snacking. If you can't stomach a big meal in the morning, just snack on something throughout the day with a load of water um, and the total amount of food will, will be more than enough to keep you going. Talk me through what you do on a day-to-day basis. So I'll give you an example for this week. Um, so this week we had, on Monday, we had a track session in the morning, which was a two-hour track session of sprints, starts um, and, and basically race efforts, um, followed by a two-hour gym session in the afternoon, which is working on, like I said, Olympic lifts such as squats, cleans, bench press, a load of core work. Um, and then I had some on bike sprints on Tuesday, 
So just flat sprint, 60 metres marked out and just go as fast as you can from A to B. Wednesday, I had another double day, so I had gym and track. Today, obviously, is my rest day. I have today off. Just make sure whether I want a massage, have a massage, make sure I'm fueling and resting well. Um, and then tomorrow, I've got two training sessions again. I've got track um, and a gym session in the afternoon. So it's quite a packed week. Um, most Well, most of the days, and I'm training two days, well, two times a day. So, yeah, you normally get back and you just kind of want to slump and sleep. Um, it does does take it out of you. Um, but leading into race season or into a race, you'd be doing a lot less. You'd be doing one session a day um, and maybe up to four days off a week. Obviously, trying to keep fresh, but at the minute we're trying to get some more power and strength behind us. Where do you usually train and was that affected by COVID? Yeah, so we train at the National Cycling Centre in Manchester. And that shut down. So British Cycling sent us home a load of gym kit and weights. Um, so we was kind of we had we had the weights, but we didn't have a squat rack. <laughs> so we were squatting off bins here in Manchester, um, being as creative as we could be training. Um, we also had a watt bike off them that we could use. So we couldn't ride BMX tracks for for pushing on six months, um, maybe a bit less, actually four months. And then the centre opened obviously when Elite Sport came back. But yeah, it was really weird not travelling there every day and training in your garage at home was was pretty abnormal, yeah. How close is the cycle centre to where you live? So it's precisely 8.2 miles away, I believe. So it's close enough to riding on the road bike, but um doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. I think that for me is maybe like 20, 30 miles would be for you. It's uh, But it, to be honest, especially in summer, I don't mind it. It's a nice warm-up to pedalling. Um, but... On days like today, when it's miserable and wet, I'm definitely in the car with the heating on. <laughs> <laughs> what races are you planning to get in this year? So a load of them have been cancelled, um, which isn't a shock because of the coronavirus. Um, so I believe that the only races that will be going ahead um, are the Olympics, the World Championships, then maybe a few more European rounds mm-hmm. later on in the year. So, yeah, selections have been made for, for either of them races, yeah. They're, they're quite a way away. Um, but I just want to race as much as I can. And if not, I want to try and get to, to training on as many different tracks because that's what we've missed. We've missed the variation of riding different places and different experiences. So even if all racing is cancelled and we can still travel, um, I want to try and get out to France, maybe America, Um and, and get some training done elsewhere in the UK for sure. In the time that you have been racing BMX, how do you feel that the sport has changed? So I think now um, people probably train, if you look on the history of BMX, people, it's a bit more serious now. and um, People take it more as, as an elite sport as such. It used to be rocking up. People used to wear jeans, for example, to ride in where now there's like stricter rules on race kit and people train a lot more like even pushing on maybe 15 years ago or something like obviously the, the senior squad wasn't a thing and the British cycling team wasn't even there so maybe even less than that maybe 10 years ago I'd say 12 years ago and so now obviously you can see it's getting a lot more serious you've got a load of funding going into it from lottery funded and you're basically training like an elite athlete so yeah, I think it's got it's slowly growing, I'd say, um, and hopefully it carries on to growing. Stops being such a niche sport. Do you have any targets over the next few years? 
Olympics, World Championships, Commonwealth Games? I'd love to, obviously, go to Olympic Games. Um, that would be really cool. I'd love to be world champion again, especially in elite men. That's a really big ask, but you, you've got to set your goals high. Um, and yeah, just progress into elite racing, really. Try and get on as many podiums as I can um, and, and just settle in as an, an elite racer and just dominate. That's the main thing. And just over the next maybe four years leading into Paris, um, I just want to get as fast as I can. And that's, that's the borderline. So if you want a simple answer, yeah, just get as fast, as strong as I can. Enjoy the process, I'd say. Yeah. What's your favourite race you've ever done? Um, like I said, I always enjoy world championships and I reckon it'd have to be that Columbia race just because of all the experiences around it. Travelling to Columbia, it was a real cool country. The track was was pretty different. Um, and yeah, as an experience as a whole, it was, it was like no other. Where's your favourite place to ride for fun? Um, I'd probably say Zolder, the track I mentioned before in Belgium. Um, it's just a, a racetrack that I really like. Um, so yeah, if I could pick one racetrack to go to or to race, it'd probably be Zolder in Belgium. How do the tracks vary across countries? So uh, obviously, there's no two tracks the same. Um, you can you can have more turns, less turns, more straights. Um, a, a simple BMX track has three turns and four straights, um, but it can go either way. You can turn left first, you can turn right. Every track is totally different, um, even in length. Some are really short, some are really long. For example, our lap at Manchester is like 27 seconds, where the Tokyo track is like maybe 40-second lap, um, if not longer. So every BMX track is, is totally different. Um which is, is really cool because obviously, for example, on, on track cycling, um, obviously, you know, velodrome to velodrome is very different, but it's kind of, do you know what I mean? You always race on a similar track. Um, same with road. I know you do different climbs, um, but that's why BMX is quite special, I think, because every time you're riding a complete different racetrack. Um, so you've got to be good at adapting to, to different tracks for sure. Who's your favourite current rider? Um... Favourite rider, I'd probably have to say, purely results-based, um, I'd say Neat Kimmon. Um, he's a Dutch guy. He's had early success in elite from when he first went in. Yeah, and he just kind of dominates a lot of World Cup racing. Um, he's really consistent and he's just a, a big, fast dude. Who's your favourite rider of all time? Um, rider of all time, I'd have to say Mara Strongberg's a retired um double Olympic champ that takes someone to win one Olympic medal never mind two um, on the bounce yeah I think in my eyes he's one of the one of the goats of BMX for sure yeah I'll have to look them both up I'm not very good with BMX <laughs> <laughs> yeah give, give them a research what's your advice for young riders the main one and to be short and sweet is just enjoy yourself um, if you want to do more training, do more training. If you don't, don't, especially if you're really young. Um, but when it is time to start training, just get some get some quality coaching or some key points, I'd say. Um, and yeah, just enjoy riding your bike, basically. No matter what discipline you're in, as long as you're having fun and you're, you're progressing, um, you're, you're winning in my eyes anyway. You've got five minutes before you head down to the start of a race. What's on your playlist to get you motivated? 
Oh, that's a tough one because um, I'm quite diverse, I'd say, in music, taste. Um, it really depends on year to year, race to race. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes I need someone that's going to pick me up and motivate me if I've had a bad race before. Um, sometimes I need someone to chill me out if I'm getting a bit nervous. So it is, it is a really tough one. Um, I'd say normally on race day, for me, it's either rap music or kind of what you'd call house music, I guess. Um, nothing slow and soppy like opera or anything like that. It's got to be fast paced, I think, on race day for sure. Thank you for joining me today, Ross. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Ross for coming on the podcast and teaching me more about BMX. You can find Cycling Talk Podcast on Instagram and Facebook at cycling.talk.podcast and on Twitter at cycling underscore talk. You can also find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, my Buzzsprout website, Amazon Music and all the usual podcast places. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and let me know your feedback. See you on the bike.